Good afternoon, gents. Uh, it's Andrew. I could not be more excited that the next film you guys are doing is Can't Hardly Wait. This movie, as Nate said, was our high school movie. We watched Can't Hardly Wait so many times. For a while, it just felt like we were going to watch it every weekend for about two years. It hit the right niche at that time. It got my funny bone. Uh, all the jokes seemed to be geared for me and my immaturity level. Uh, having Jennifer Love Hewitt star as the love interest that could not be attained, that would not listen, that would not follow Ethan Embry's character. I mean, it was the drive of every male, it seemed at that time. You'll want to fall in love. You want to move on with your life. It just can't be attained. Uh, this movie was so formative for me. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. With the school year winding down and kids all across the country graduating, we thought it would be the perfect time to watch Can't Hardly Wait, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. Can't Hardly Wait was a part of my high school experience, but Ryan has never seen it. It seems like a great way to jump into summer. Can't Hardly Wait wasn't a breakout success at the box office, and it never really captured the acclaim or the love of the teen movies on whose shoulders it so clearly stands. Most of the critics who spoke of it positively saw it for what it was, a breezy, pleasant version of some teen comedy tropes. Jennifer Love Hewitt's rising popularity wasn't quite enough to cement Can't Hardly Wait as much more than a time capsule of late 90s teen life. But is there something more happening in Can't Hardly Wait's chaotic vision of teens on the verge of adulthood? Or is it true what they say about teen movies and trolley cars? There's plenty of them in the sea. Keep listening. Hey, dude, did you hear? I'm naked under my gown. Yeah, I heard that. How about that party? It's gonna be huge. Heard that, too. Oh, then I guess you heard about Mike dumping Amanda. Wait, what'd you say? Where have you been, man? Mike Dexter broke up with Amanda Beckett. Tonight I feel ambitious and so does my foot as it sinks on the pedal. I press it to the floor. All right, that's from the opening of the movie Can't Hardly Wait that we're talking about today. Obviously, one of the main plot points is Mike Dexter broke up with Amanda. Can you believe it? I can't. I, I couldn't. I, I, hadn't, mean, I hadn't heard, and I don't Mike know how I had Dexter heard. and Amanda. Who would have thought? I, I definitely didn't. Uh, our main character, Preston, definitely didn't no, think it would happen. Not at all. You could see it in his face, for sure, when the camera did that quick cut. Yeah. And because Ethan Embry is not a subtle actor. No. <laughs> it's all in his face. Yep. Right there. Um, and then that that perfect 90s pop punk. Pop punk. I, I was just going to say, if if that intro we just played didn't just zap you right to 1998, I don't know what's going to do it. 
and and I don't know if I'm just imagining this or if it does seem to be kind of a thing of 90s teen movies, but the whole like the music playing and then just sort of like the the mix of gossip mm-hmm. and, and you get it in pieces here and there and that's kind of filling you in on the context of the whole movie. Yeah. Is that just a can't hardly wait thing? I feel like it's kind know. of I feel a, like Clueless and yeah. 10 Things I Hate About You, gossip was a big part of that sort of vibe too. So yeah. I don't maybe. That's, I don't know. That's a very unscientific assessment of that anecdotal sure so can't hardly wait it's may it's graduation season you're a teacher so you've got you've got this this kind of on your mind right now right finals finals this week yeah any Mm -hmm. uh any big breakups in your school right now as graduation's unfolding you know the gossip just overlaps so much oh that i it takes me a while to like sort it out so so far as i've been reviewing the gossip i've heard overlapping Mm. as i walked down the hallways i have not heard of any big breakups. Ah. Is that maybe because the gossip is now scored to like EDM music and you're just not quite, you, you just can't get, get the gossip? That must be it. It's just the bass drops The bass drops and you just, you're like, what was that? I missed it. <gasps> Say it again. The, the kids can hear it. I can't hear it. Uh, yeah, my, my old ears. That <laughs> might be part of it. It would actually be quite weird if I were able to report on the breakups. and the. Well, that's why I asked. I just wanted to... You know, nope, have, a, have a fun, weird moment. I don't if, know. Because I was going to hope that you said something and I was going to be like, you know, Ryan, it's kind of weird <laughs> that you would know no, that. Not at all. I didn't I, have my gotcha moment. No, you didn't. You're going to have to get me a different time. I will get there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Can't Hardly Wait, celebrating its 20th anniversary. 20th. That does not feel right. Right. No. <laughs> doesn't feel right at all um, no. because that's like a whole other teenage lifetime and then some. Yeah. I guess I just sound like a typical 35-year-old right now, but like I don't feel like high school was that long ago. <laughs> you no, know, I mean, like it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Now, it, in in some ways it absolutely does. But I but guess yeah, what I'm saying is just like, that the memories don't seem that distant. I yeah. I I get it. And especially cuz can't hardly wait was only 13 years since Breakfast Club, like when Can't Hardly Wait was made. Which is hard to think about now because they seem from very, totally different time periods. Yeah, and they are, which means that we are from like two oh, that, times yeah, I see what you're saying. time yeah. period. So, um, I mean, should we just get into it? Should we get into yeah. get into I mean, our you're experience? the only one who's got experience you, I just, with it. You know, I'm, you, you've gone 20 years without seeing Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah. I'm assuming you hit a certain time where you felt like the sun had set on that movie. Oh, absolutely. There was no, <laughs> and it was going to take no this podcast to go for back me to, to ever it. watch it. It wasn't necessarily even one of the ones. I guess I'm going to jump into it. <laughs> it you wasn't might as well. even yeah. one of the ones that I feel like like people talk about it and people who like it like it, mm-hmm. but they like it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think any many people would say it's actually a good movie as much as they would say. I really liked it when I saw it, and I, I it still holds a special place for me. Like, mm-hmm. there's never been any real reason that anybody's been able to give me to watch it until when when I gave you a reason. Twenty years, <laughs> yep. that's a reason. That's it. <laughs> and the reason is that this. For, I'll, I'll jump into to my story. I don't even. I can't even tell you when the first time I watched it was. I don't remember. So I guess my memories of high school aren't that clear. <laughs> Crystal clear. <laughs> I don't don't remember when I watched it. I guess the point I'm trying to make is I watched it so much that it's just sort of this 
general memory I have of like, that was a movie of my high school. It was just on, or, or like I was like spending that at a friend's house and it was like, well, let's just throw Can't Hardly Wait on. Or like, you know, they had yeah. HBO and it was on yep. there. It's just a movie we watched a lot. And yeah. I remember, I, I, I must have watched it enough to where I pretty much had like the whole movie memorized. And I will say, you were surprised when I said this, but you you bring this movie up a fair amount. Yeah, I don't think I do, but I guess I do. And that's and actually I was thinking about that as I watched it and I could see that because I was like, yeah, I said that not too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. this was also a movie that I shared with my um roommate in college. Um um, mm-hmm. who always calls in here, yeah. Andrew. It was a movie that we were able to kind of hit it off on right away. Like mm-hmm. it was a movie that both of us had seen a ton and were able to quote. So actually I would say, you know, it even extended a little bit into my college life. Wow. Um, just, you know, it so wasn't that's just- part a, of, also part of why it doesn't feel that long ago because sure, yeah. you kept watching it. Yeah. It was also a movie, um, my wife, we were high school sweethearts. Uh, oh, right. You know, we met our senior year. After Mike Dexter, well, I guess it was- Mike Mark, Dexter. Mark Duxler. Mark, Mark Duxler. Broke up with Andrea and you couldn't believe it. I couldn't, yeah. And I had written a letter. Wrote a letter, yeah. Yeah. And I finally had the guts to give it to her. Uh, so it was fate. Sure. It was fate. It was absolutely that, fate. That which I met is, my which wife. exists. And- um, and what was also fate was that we both liked Can't Hardly Wait. And, wow. and uh, we're, it was one that we could also just pop on and, and watch. Sure. And so- then, of course, as happens with a lot of your high school movies, time goes by and you just stop watching it. It's been decades since you've seen it, you yeah. know, I guess decades. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I, I had no clue how this was going to go watching it because, mm-hmm. as you said, this isn't a movie that gets talked about amongst a lot of the other sort of what you would call teen classics. It doesn't really get talked about along with, you know, 16 Candles mm-hmm. or Fast Times at Ridgemont High or American Graffiti even. And and also I feel like the genre itself of like teen comedy of this type, I'm trying to think, I mean, you maybe, I mean, I think you could count Superbad as something that would fit mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. like, I don't think it's a genre that's just even done as much these days as it used to be. I mean, I don't know. I it, They're certainly not marketed to us, is there a market for PG thirteen teen comedy? Teen, I don't think teen comedies. I think teen dramas. I think yeah. Like if I stay and everything, everything. And what was the and, Simon movie that came out? Yeah, Love that, Simon. Love Simon. And uh, I mean that one's maybe from what I understand a little bit closer because that is a comedy. But the True. other ones are those sort of Fault in Our Stars. Fault in Our you know, Stars. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. They maybe have a few funny moments. John Green. Yeah, Paper Towns and much more serious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got like 13 Reasons Why being the stuff that the teenagers watch. Yeah. Which is all hmm. way heavy, heavier and emo-y and depressing. Sure. Yeah. And I think teen comedy just made the leap to R. True. Like Superbad is certainly... Well, I think you can probably thank American Pie for that. Yes, you're absolutely right. And to really sort of hit that point home of American Pie being that breaking point, from what I understand, Can't Hardly Wait actually was a rated R movie. They cut about 40 minutes out of the movie. Wow. Uh, because the studios at the time didn't think that a rated R, R movie would sell. sell. And so they actually made them dial it back to a PG-13. And it was mm. like, they cut out a lot. I guess it was a lot raunchier. Um, mm. And they even had to do like really expensive CGI. I, I saw to that like, make they it took so, out a tequila shot. And yeah, because in a PG-13, a you can't actually, you can have drinking, I guess. But what's weird is he does drink the beer. So I don't know Maybe what it is. you can't drink liquor? Maybe. As a teenager? <laughs> That's a really stupid mpaa shit but well the mpaa is really stupid i know 
But anyways, they had to do a lot of just workarounds to make it PG-13. And then American Pie came out like the next summer, I think. It was 99, I think, yeah. when American Pie came out. And yeah. all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what we should have been doing, I guess. So anyways, all that to say, I had no idea what this was going to be like to yeah. rewatch it. I didn't know if it was going to be like painful or if it was going to be like picking up right where I left off. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Letterbox rating-wise, you don't have one. right? But for me... I think I had it in there at um, four star, but solely going off of my nostalgia my nostalgia, my memory for it. Okay, so and so, I mean, I guess I, I just want to hear on the rewatch. Uh, the, you, a lot of suspense there. You didn't know how it was going to go, so how did it go? So okay, I was fully expecting to knock this back a lot. Actually, mm. um, just watching it now and thinking about whether this actually holds up as a movie yeah. as opposed to just something yeah. that got me through high school. Right. But I've been kind of waffling on where I want to settle with this. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm just going to keep it at four stars, actually. Okay. I actually do think this movie is smarter than a lot of people give it credit for. Uh-huh. And I am taking it for what it is okay. and talking about it within so teen comedy. teen comedy. Yes. <laughs> and I'm also going to cling on to a little bit of that this is my personal feeling for that movie mm-hmm. meaning i don't know you if you can't divorce I, it you can't i, I can't that out. i can't and i really i really can't and i also i say that basically to to say i don't know if i could talk someone who had never seen this movie before i don't know if i could talk them into what makes it a little bit mm-hmm. special um i'm gonna try but you know so this is a this is a, a gut or a heart Yes, this is four. this is a very personal gut for. Okay. So I want to know though, I mean you are having you do have the fresh take in the sense <laughs> of like this is what is this as a movie, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, we're, we're going to talk a ton about that. So I'll just go with my rating. Um and I I'm going to I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a 3. Okay. But that's a it's a solid above average Better than some of its contemporaries, better than some of the things that followed, aware of its flaws, three. The lowest praise I'll give it is that I didn't once feel bored or want to fall asleep while I was watching it. That's good. That is good. That's what I'm saying. And that's the lowest, that's the lowest praise. Like that's the lowest. Oh, I see what you mean. That's so that's the lowest so bar from here, of my praise. So from here, but yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into the flaws and yeah. I enjoyed myself Did while you? I was watching it. All right. That's good. For, I'm for glad the most to, part, I'm glad the to most hear part, that. For the sure. most part. And I, and, and I don't know. Um, here's the other problem, too. And I'm sure you might have an example of a movie like this where you quote a movie enough. You can no longer tell if that's good or bad dialogue <laughs> because it's so quoted yeah. that to you it's great. Yeah. Like You can't really trace back the origin of whether that line's good or bad. Which is funny know? that you talk about quoting it and that you have quoted it and that you do quote it. I don't feel like it's I I don't the, the movie doesn't strike me as tremendously quotable. From here on out if you quote can't hardly wait I will probably miss it. I could see that though. Okay, I'm going to back it up a little bit. Okay. Why don't I just kind of say ultimately what my general feeling was rewatching this movie. Okay. And that is that it is really just another teen comedy like for the most part. Um but the difference is it's my teen comedy. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, and honestly, I do think it is kind of a worthy contender 
along with those that do get highly praised critically, really? like 16 Candles, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. These movies that all these critics put as like a classic, mm-hmm. classic movie. But I think often those critics say they're classic because those are their, their teen movies. movies. Sure. We're going to probably see in the next few years critics who are coming, who, who grew up with this movie. Mm-hmm. This will start to get the kind of respect that a movie like 16 Candles gets because it's basically just that movie for the person who grew up in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think, doing a pretty smart job of updating it for those times. Not our times now. <laughs> yeah. For those times. This was my movie and this was my youth culture mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I wasn't that charmed when I watched 16 Candles or when I mm-hmm. watched, uh, I mean, I liked American Graffiti, but that's also even George Lucas's nostalgia video. Like yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. made of its time. No. You know, and, and, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I was never that charmed with that movie. I remember I watched those later on mm-hmm. because I knew I was supposed to because they were classics. And I was like, yeah, this must just be better for the people who grew up at that time. Like, I didn't think it was doing that much more than what Can't Hardly Wait was doing. You might disagree, because you you certainly are coming at it from a different, pers- you know, a yeah. different time. Well, so you didn't watch those movies in high school, or you did? No, I didn't. Okay. And that was the thing. I mean, I didn't watch Breakfast Club or Fast Times or say anything even uh, until oh, until I was in my 20s. That's funny, because I in, in high school, I did watch. Like, I, for some reason, my friends and I went on a kick, like... Yeah, and it started with say anything. Yeah, we didn't watch any of that. Like, I watched Better Off Dead. That was the only I watched Better Off 80s Dead, teen movie I watched, and that one's just so weird that it's not of any time really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely of eighties, but it's like a hyper avant garde. Yes, to, almost, yeah, almost surreal in, yeah. in certain parts. And, and that yeah. one, that one. I mean, if if that's if that's like your high school movie, it certainly is not indicative of the experience you had other than maybe you felt like you were an outsider so far outside that like you had to have a movie where blue bacon was crawling across the table <laughs> and uh, hamburgers were playing hamburger Van, Halen. Van Halen. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen better off dead, just you what we're saying right now, it should be enough for you to be like, I got to see this movie. You know? Um, but I, I did watch fast times at Ridgemont high breakfast club, breakfast club, quite a bit say anything a lot. To me, I did connect with them, and I really do, for some reason, say anything especially clicked with me. But there's something about just the the way those movies address being a teenager in general mm-hmm. that is not as much time capsule And I think there are elements of that in Can't Hardly Wait that work really well, but I think all, all many of the elements about Can't Hardly Wait that do ground it in 1998 are many of the problematic elements for me, hmm. um, which... Uh, we can get to, but maybe it's just, you can watch teen movies when you're a teen and they'll click with you if they're, if they're true enough to like the teen experience. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, cause I, I can't tell you what I would have thought of those movies when I was a teenager. If you watch those after the fact though, I think what, what happens though is you're kind of like, well, I don't see why this one should click with me any more than the other Something movie else. I watched yeah. when I was a teenager, yeah. you know? yeah. I don't know. I also feel like the 90s teen comedy is a different animal. It than is. The 80s teen comedy. Because you could name off a few. I mean, we're talking like something like She's All That, right. 10 Things I Hate About You, Clueless. I think Clueless is kind of what set the tone of what 90s kids were going to dig, you know? I feel like, and you can disagree with me, 
I feel like there are just not really any 90s teen comedies that would or will stand the test of time, like Breakfast Club, Say Anything, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink. 90s teen comedies, I feel like Clueless and 10 Things I Hate About You, and maybe this is just personal, but I feel like Clueless and 10 Things I Hate About You are two that would be like, yeah, those mm-hmm. those would, would hold up. Like you could say, you should watch these movies. Yeah. They belong in the, the conversation with Breakfast Club. Possibly can't hardly wait. But other than that, but that's all you need. I mean, I would put those three. Exactly. Right, that's what but, I would do. Yeah. You know? And I mean, the 80s had other teen comedies, and we, we probably can't name them because they're kind of forgotten. I mean, Heather's was there. Like, Heather's sure. is up. That's it dark. Is, it that's is dark. dark. I mean, that's, that's the other thing is that I feel like in the 90s, teen comedies really locked in, and they were really narrow, that there was a, a much, much more formulaic, much more singular voice through 90s teen comedies. I mean, what what in, for instance, and it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I might just be forgetting, but what would be an example of something in The Breakfast Club mm-hmm. that elevates it higher than something like Can't Hardly Wait? Um, really, the acknowledgement that teens are, are a diverse group that have problems beyond getting dates and getting grades, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I think that's the thing that really sets breakfast club apart. I think that in hindsight, it's a little broad and a little obvious. Um, and it's been rehashed so many times, including in Can't Hardly Wait. There's a lot of that, like, oh, here's this kid, here's this kid, here's this kid who fits into these different groups. And let's see what happens when they interact. Um, and let's see what happens when we kind of learn more about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the things that Can't Hardly Wait does well. But I think that it was kind of one of the first movies outside of uh, after school specials that just over dramatized like drug addiction and like all this stuff and just said like, you know what kids who seem to have no reason to complain really, they've got a lot going on mm-hmm. emotionally. And I think it spoke well to every white teenager, which was just really unusual. I, I think you're right. Um, and I think you're right that breakfast club did a good job of, of as you, as you put it, teens really do deal with more than maybe what society wants to acknowledge, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or, and I think that by the time Can't Hardly Wait came around, it sort of didn't need to be said so much. Yeah, you know, it, I don't think it needs to be said even what kind of pressures a character like Amanda is dealing with. But I also think that Can't Hardly Wait is essentially doing the same thing as The Breakfast Club, which I think is something that's good for teen comedies. Yep. You know, it's basically saying you grew up with, or you are growing up with, these stock characters or these yeah. stock roles that you're supposed to fit into. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole movie's idea is if you just dig a little bit lower or you mm-hmm. just put them in a situation where they have to associate with one another, like detention or a party, mm-hmm. and the party is after graduation when a lot of our guards are let down. Yeah. Um, or we're basically not caring as much anymore, yeah. you find out that a lot of those roles really are only skin deep. Or you mm-hmm. also find out that you don't know everything about yeah. everybody. Again, it's not that Can't Hardly Wait's breaking any ground with that, although I do think they do in well, some sure, ways. because I mean... But they're doing it for the late 90s. Yeah. Like the people, the roles in Can't Hardly Wait are different than the roles in Breakfast Club. Right. Some of them cross over, yeah. but there are some new ones yeah, and some different definitely. ones. And I think it does it in a smart enough way to where it's sort of updated in a way that needed to be in the late sure. 90s. Sorry. It's just, well, he is the most dope guy in school. Yeah, and school's over. 
Anyway, I mean, who does he think he is? Brad Pitt? <laughs> Seriously, and you're like, Gwyneth. Seriously, you know he regrets breaking up with her. You know what, that's really sweet. That's really sweet, but I think I'm gonna... No, we mean it. You are so Gwyneth. <laughs> totally Gwyneth, but prettier. Totally prettier, but with oh bigger boobs. <laughs> totally bigger boobs. Way bigger. You know what? I think I'm I'm gonna go outside and get some fresh air. But he's no Brad. Mm -mm. He is not even Brad in 12 Monkeys when he had that weird eye and he was all dirty. Girlfriend, Mike Dexter doesn't even deserve to breathe the same. They're stock characters, but it's very good at defining them. You know, yeah. I, th I, I knew those people. Yeah. It, it can seem probably time capsule-y now, uh -huh. but that's only because it captured it so well. I think right now, if a director was going to make a nostalgia pick about 1998, yeah. it would actually look very similar to Can't Hardly Wait. It probably wouldn't even look that different. No, I, I don't think you're wrong. I'm just trying to, uh, and I actually, I, now that I, I'm, I just Googled a list of 90s teen comedies, and I actually think I'm wrong uh, in saying that things were extremely limited. I think there was definitely a vein of more popular movie that kind of followed the clueless mold. Mm, yeah. Um, but as I'm looking at it, and especially 90, 98, 99. Um, right, so, let's, let's hear some of them because so, I'd be excited to hear these. I probably haven't heard of them since. <laughs> 1999. So 1999 brought She's All That, 10 Things I Hate About You, American Pie, Jawbreaker, mm. Never Been Kissed, Cruel Intentions, Oh, yeah, that whole stuff. All that stuff. Varsity yeah. Blues, But I'm a Cheerleader, which was an indie movie. Um, Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is yeah. actually really a great movie. Uh, when was Bring It On? Was that? Idle Hands. I don't know. I haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, Virgin Suicides. Well, yeah, that's almost in a whole. Yeah, it is. Itself. But yeah. still, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, Election. Oh, yeah. These are all 1999. Wow. Detroit Rock City. Rushmore was 98. Uh, if you want to consider that a teen comedy, which yeah. all culminating in the rage carry two, <laughs> but no, I mean, just in 1999, there's a huge range. So I was absolutely wrong when I said that it was limited, but I do think that you've got a very similar clueless. She's all that 10 things I hate about you. Uh, can't hardly wait. Never been kissed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That's a certain formula to yeah. a teen comedy and yeah. it doesn't stray that much. One thing I really do appreciate about Can't Hardly Wait, even more than the good examples that you brought up, 10 Things I Hate About You and Clueless, and is that this is really an ensemble piece. Like, yes, it actually yeah. is. Uh, it doesn't just pretend to be. It doesn't, I mean, and I think at the time, of course, Jennifer Love Hewitt was supposed to be sort of the star. Yeah. Um, she, she's actually pretty terrible, I think. She's but, just uh, very flat, yeah. Yeah, and written that way. It's not all mm -hmm. her fault. No, yeah, but, it's, a, it's just a bad... Well, it is, but... Her depth is in her dissatisfaction, and it doesn't yeah. go much deeper than that. We don't understand anything about her. Yeah, and I actually think the movie does a really good job just mechanically, you know, interweaving the different storylines and the different uh, motives of all the different ensembles together, taking the cues from something like American Graffiti. Yeah, um, but well, yeah, or yeah, Dazed and Confused a little bit. Sure, yeah. But I kind of feel too, I, I, I was confused sometimes, and maybe... Maybe it's unfair of me to say that the movie was trying to be something else, but I couldn't tell if it was trying to be more dazed and confused or more like Animal House. I don't think it really succeeds at either, necessarily. Hmm. I, I agree that for the most part, they do weave the storylines together well, but there were times where it was like they chose strange times to follow the beats of a, of a dazed and confused. Where And the, the one that like stuck out to me most glaringly was when he's with the... Jenna Elfman stripper angel. Oh yeah, 
You're a stripper? I'm a dancer. An angel stripper. Oh, I'm the weirdo. You're the one calling Barry Manilow from a phone booth at 2 a.m. You're right. I'm a total loser. No, wait, I'm sorry. Okay. Like I could feel any worse. It goes back to the party for no real reason. Like what we're seeing is just kind of jokes. And then it comes back to that conversation just right where it left it. So in, in moments like that, I felt like the movie wasn't doing enough to be its own thing, that it was trying too hard to be something else and it, it detracted from it. Where, whereas if they had let that scene play out in full, it would have been more emotionally invested in what was happening between those two characters and in humanizing Jenna Elfman's character and in fleshing out Ethan Embry's motivations and and philosophies about love and fate and everything so in 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 ways and perhaps appropriately enough the movie's identity gets really convoluted for me yeah i mean and there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of homage going on in this movie Mm -hmm. almost like it's just jam-packed stuffed with it it's funny because when i watched it in high school because i hadn't seen any of those movies it just didn't even occur to me you know so it's really funny now to watch it and be like Oh, I get what they're doing, yeah, you know, yeah. and and it's you you interpret the movie entirely differently that way. I think I actually would think it was sloppier with that frame of reference. Yeah, when I'm like, you're doing a sloppy homage job. Yeah, <laughs> but I can tell you, just watching it in high school when I didn't have any of that sure. reference, it was just fine. You know, it didn't sure. bother me. But I see what you're saying. You're not wrong about that. But I think in that homage, there's some smart things that are going on with it. But one thing that really kind of, I was like, oh, that's why this tone is the way it is, is I never even paid attention to who the writers, directors were mm-hmm. until I watched it this time. Yeah. Um, and it's Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan, mm-hmm. who would then go on later to make Josie and the Pussycats. Right. Did you ever see that movie? I saw it once. And I know that is actually a movie that a lot of people will write about now as being a very smart. And they should. It's it's a very. We should watch that one. We should. And uh, yeah, I mean, we could actually. I mean, to me, we talked about that. I feel like we've talked about doing that movie. I don't know. I mean, I would I would love to do it because that was one that came out later. I was in college, but you you get a better example of what this director writer pair do really well, which is tap into pop culture, provide something that presents itself as nothing more than broad entertainment. And then, especially with that case, it kind of ticked everyone off because it was like doing something smarter that nobody wanted to watch at the time. <laughs> like it was this whole like anti-consumerist sort of like uh, don't be a, a blind consumer kind of screed. Well, and what I feel like I remember about that is that it didn't let on that it was doing that exactly. at all. Yeah. And I think you can see a little bit of that even in Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah. Where I lost all the homage bits as a teenager and didn't see it, I saw it as broad entertainment. Made, I was like, like, this movie's really funny. Because it was making an earnestly teen comedy, teen yes. comedy. It's kind of that weird, like, it's, it's, there are certain people who can do it well where it's like, it's not quite a spoof, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely riffing. You know, this is yeah. kind of like what Edgar Wright does so well. Just, I'm not saying this is as yeah. good as Edgar Wright. <laughs> Don't, okay, calm down. But they're also calm doing, down. Yeah, but they're but doing it's the very same kind of thing. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of riffing on the genre in a way that's very smart and also very of its time. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. it was the same with Josie and the Pussycats too. TRL, yeah, like, they yeah. had DuJour was the boy band, mm-hmm. which was great. You know, Backdoor Lover was like <laughs> a, the the best. You know spoof of that kind of thing the they had the um the singer songwriter of letters to cleo wrote all the josie and the pussycat songs so right. the songs were actually good yeah. you know they were super catchy and poppy and great yeah um and then it was kind of subverting all of that in the right, movie right right and can't hardly wait i don't think it goes that far it's not right. trying to be subversive it's not trying to kind of tell you that you should think harder about this it's genre. trying to build on it's just building on it and yeah. it's kind of a loving ode to it let me ask you this because you didn't watch it in 1998. Did, I mean, did you at least find it funny in parts? Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was amusing. Uh, one of the storylines that I thought works really well is that of the band. Love Burger? Love Burger. Yeah. Anybody order a Love Burger? Well done. One, two, whoa, whoa. What is that? It's one of our shirts, man. We're in it for publicity. Those are for the fans. You don't wear the shirt of the band you're in. I think it's cool. Throw me one. No, no, we don't throw them one. Hey, look. No. If they get to wear the shirts, maybe I should wear the hat. You guys suck. <laughs> what the hell is that? A hat? Take off the hat. No, take off the hat. No, take it off. No. Great. Their, their arc is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And... Really pretty perfect for high school high band. School, yes. Um, that party is like your show and it's uh-huh. like everything. And we there's never the guy who knows play. the guy with the record deal right. who's going to yeah. be at the party. Right. Yeah. And we never hear them play. And but they've I got really, t-shirts. Yeah, they've got t-shirts because of course they do. Like every <laughs> band in high school had stickers or some sort of merch before they had any songs or shows. And um, also very surprising to me, um, was how funny and fully realized the character of Kenny, oh, yes. played by Seth Green, mm-hmm. is. Yo, I gotta have sex tonight. I mean, pizza. They say here 92% of honeys at UCLA sexually active. 92% of women in Los Angeles at UCLA walking around going, class or sex. What shall I do? 92%, yo. You know what that means, don't you? Huh. That means I got some 92% chance of embarrassing myself. I roll up on that shorty like, what's up, yo? She be like, you don't know 20 different ways to make me call you Big Papa? Because I don't, yo. Rest in peace. Especially that trope, because every that, that trope set... That is particularly late 90s, I feel like. It is, but you know? I feel like everybody else took it in the completely sexualized way and not in any sort mm-hmm. of like why is he so driven to have sex this night and they really in a very i guess elegant way dissect that mm-hmm. yeah that's a good way whereas to put it. everybody else took that character was really funny let's yeah. make a movie about someone who feels like they have to have sex which was american pie which and then like that just became like a thing like a shorthand also almost like mm-hmm. a genre in and of itself yeah that you gotta have the sex teen comedy where yeah. a boy is trying to have sex before the end of his high school yeah. year senior year and it does that character of kenny such a disservice because he was that was his starting point but that was certainly not where his story went and by the time he does end up having sex it's strangely earned yeah and really true to his character and their the the clumsiness of their first time is really pretty touching yeah and no there's something really sweet about that 
storyline. Yeah. The Denise character too, Lauren mm-hmm. Ambrose, I think she does a really great job she of does. playing the, you know, she's better than this, but mm-hmm. then she really is, when she's alone at the party, that sucks. No yep. one likes that, even if you think you're better than it, yeah. you know? Yeah. There is something sweet and kind of true about taking two characters who used to be friends with each other way yeah. back, grew up in the same town, and then grew to like basically pretend they didn't know each other or actually full on bully each other. Yeah. Well, in his case, you know, yeah. uh, bully her a little bit. Damn, woman, why you gotta be such a raging bitch? Oh, please listen to you. Look, there's a mirror right there. Why don't you take a look, okay? You're white. What's that supposed to mean? I don't always talk like that. Oh, I guess you're okay then. What about you? Huh? What about you, Miss Antisocial? Miss walking around just, I think I'm so much better than uh, everybody else. I, I do not think I am better than anybody. Anyway, what do you care what I think about you, okay? You pretty much haven't spoken to me since sixth grade. Hey, you stopped speaking to me. Okay, whatever. Damn, you got no... You have no idea what you're talking about. You don't even know me anymore. Yes, I do. I know exactly who you are. You were Kenny Fisher who used to play... We used to play Miami Vice in my basement. You used to sleep over my house. You had to leave the hall light on every night. It just unfolds surprisingly naturally. Yeah, it is. It's very organic for uh, for such a like a such an outlandish way that they end up stuck together. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. like that's almost you know screwballish. But it like, is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that is that his character is where it gets most uh, Breakfast Clubby for me. Like this character that was just a joke. Like this this type of person was completely disrespected by everybody in the 90s. And to say like, they've got feelings too, Mm -hmm. and they've got motivations. And anything that you see as posturing from them, that's probably coming from a place that felt like it needed Mm -hmm. to posture and to appropriate a culture and to make something other than who they are be their their defining characteristics. You have that in most of the story arcs in this movie, actually, where you're getting, you know, the sort of other side of the person. Mm -hmm. The same kind of storyline that happens with Denise and Kenny. It happens between Mike Dexter and William. Mm -hmm. William, I I, I think a lot of the comic relief that hit me this time around came from his character. Really? Um, Because I was very irritated by a lot of the comic relief that came from his character. Oh, really? I mean, his Paradise City scene, just like... I couldn't stand it. Oh, really? Ah, oh. so annoying. Oh. <laughs> I mean, but that's such a crucial scene for him. I mean, that's that's really where he's able to see that there's this other side of him that's never really come out. I guess I'm an adult who sees like teenagers struggling with their identities, and I and, and I'm I, I'm maybe a little bit incredulous at the virtue of somebody realizing, oh hey, I can be a clown that people will laugh at when I'm doing embarrassing stuff drunkenly. But no one laughs at him. That's what's different about the movie. I think you think they're cheering him on, yeah, like, genuinely. Well, how many girls want to sleep with him afterwards? Like even this, though we're, basically, we're supposed to be laughing at him, basically, I think 
I don't think you're laughing at him no. in that scene. Okay. You're kind of cheering him on too. You're like, yeah, man, Maybe that's this awesome. Is just another sort of Christmas story, my my own personal sensitivity where I'm like, I'm I'm just like It might be. I, all I see is embarrassment when that stuff like that happens and not like Well, I don't think you're supposed to be embarrassed for him in that okay. time. You are supposed to be embarrassed for him, and I think it works better in that way when he's first there. Uh excuse me? It's is this the uh beer? What the hell does it look like, asswipe? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Do you want one? Yes, of course. <laughs> it's terrible. Nobody drink the beer. The beer has gone bad. And I think that the paradise city thing is where everyone kind of sees like there's this side of this guy that did not let out at all in high school sure. you know and then as that's happening or at least right around that time in the movie that's when you see mike dexter's downfall um and that is where you're laughing at him and yeah. he gets his comeuppance you know that is also something that i was very troubled by that his comeuppance comes when somebody calls him a fag oh yeah that is troubling. It was so off-putting to me. Of course, that does not hold up time-wise. No. But you have to remember. I know, but still, in that time, yeah, that is totally what. But I'm would just have telling you, that. when I watch this, that is not something that I enjoy seeing. And I mean, that's the whole. That's the whole crux of his downfall. Is let's get people to think he's gay. I don't know. It was. It was so gross to me. That word. Is also, is also earlier on in the movie used yeah. as well. Like that word was a word that was just used as like idiot. Regardless of how people use that word, the main plot point for Mike's downfall is getting people to think he's gay and how that will ruin his life. Oh, you mean with William? Well, that was William's plan all along. Yeah. And then when it happens with William and the way the police are like so disgusted and it's supposed to be so embarrassing for Mike. Yeah, this movie is about as socially conscious as... 1998 was yeah and it really is and that is where it is definitely a product of its time and i'm not saying that that excuses it it doesn't but it's the fact of that's the matter. true but I, I think that is part of why i would say this movie doesn't need to be held up i don't think that this movie is bringing anything to 2018 that we need it to bring i mean i can't answer that i don't know because i'm not a teenager i don't know that's if true. The, I don't know if this, the kind of lessons that are learned in here, more generally speaking about, you know, the people you think you know you don't know, they could get that from another movie, I'm sure, but it's in this movie. Um, and it's in this movie as good as I think it's in any of those other movies. Sure. Um, and, and I mean, I think there's troubling things in, like, say, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Definitely. You know, like, Absolutely. You're, if you're going to, if you go down that road... You know, you're going to find troubling things in these teen comedies because they are of their time. Yeah. And also, teens laugh at their time. They laugh at the things yeah. <laughs> that are kind of inappropriate. And so I, I guess I'm not saying that that necessarily means this needs to be held in high regard. I just mm -hmm. don't see why you would single this one out when the other ones can be just I'm as troublesome. I'm singling this one out because this is the one we're talking about. Okay. All right. Maybe what I'm doing is more making a case for the teen comedy not dying, that we need to keep updating it. Yeah. That That's every, a good case to be made. That, like, yeah. Every generation needs to have their teen comedy, but they shouldn't try to shove it on later generations. Yeah. And there are, I mean, you want to talk about things that 
shouldn't be seen. Long Duck Dong in Sixteen Candles. Oh yeah, yeah, is, that's a great example. Horrible. Yeah, um, and um, there's some awful stuff. I mean, in Better Off Dead, there are similarly broadly drawn stereotypes of foreigners, of uh, like nerds, and just like awkward people, like just whatever. That mm-hmm. movie, there, there's no nuance as far as like characterizing people. Um, so certainly I'm not saying like that this is the first movie to do something like this, but I guess it's just a reason that for me, it wouldn't be rated higher or anything that I would say I would want to see again, or would recommend that people see, um, if they hadn't already seen it, you know, I just don't have the depth of goodwill. Sure. Yeah. Well, I do think that anybody who, even if they love this movie back then and they watch it now, they should be troubled by those scenes now. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the people who made the movie well, I think are, all of us you know, would be troubled by ourselves. Yeah. Oh, and then. that's that's part of it. There's a shame in that too. Like I know how I use that word right. when I was in high school. Yep. I guess that I guess makes it more the negative side of the time capsule aspect of right. it. I mean, I guess you could if you were going to show this to a younger audience, you could almost couch it that way. Yeah. You could almost yeah, say yeah, yeah. this is this is a time capsule of if you want to know what people thought of this topic or these things not that long ago. Yeah that it was socially and totally acceptable and off and, and laughed at and funny yeah. to use that word and, and to kind of make fun of someone for being gay, right. you know? And that's not the only thing that's troubling. The foreign exchange student is another troubling oh thing gosh, in there. Yeah. And it's that, not, it's just not even funny. And I do think Mike's transformation is interesting, but the lesson he learns isn't necessarily the greatest. Like when he sees Trip McNeely, who he had held up as like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that guy knew what to do. He like moved on to college girls and like, he was back at this party because he had college girls weren't interested, weren't interested and, in his immaturity and weren't interested in the way that he approached women. Right. But what Mike Dexter learns is I need to get back with Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the greatest lesson, but it's an interesting, it's a, it's an interesting character to introduce. And in a way though, even though his conclusion was, I need to get back with Amanda. I think that just kind of shows a shortcoming in even still his perspective. Like, yeah, he, but, sure. but also that he doesn't that do any there, actual soul searching, but that, just... but that there was at least for a moment, a realization mm-hmm. that the world was much bigger than he thought, you know? Yeah. And that the people he idolized once they got out of his world, which is that town, yeah. uh, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, Speaking about lessons learned, one of the things I actually appreciate about this movie, and I think does set it a little apart from some other teen comedies, other teen comedies, they have this similar thing where characters are um, realizing something about themselves or they're realizing something about other people that they didn't realize before. And the assumption is often, um, and things were different after that, or they went on and, and they were forever changed. And what I really appreciate about Can't Hardly Wait is really the coda to the movie it acknowledges that this night happened but that for the most part these people pretty much ended up they're the same people, they're the same people. but what that does i think is first of all it's more realistic yeah and second of all it kind of recalibrates what you should expect from a teen comedy in a sense or, or, of, of really the purpose mm-hmm. is the purpose to think that these characters become forever changed after this, what happens in this movie or is the purpose more for you to just gain a little bit of empathy for people who aren't like you, even if they don't change. Yeah. When William and Mike Dexter see each other at the diner the next day, mm-hmm. and William thinks, yeah, Hey, we're we had cool. a moment, right? That we're, yeah. we're going to be buds. Things are different. 
And the movie kind of throws you there and he becomes a bully again. The fact that uh, Kenny and Denise keep fighting, it acknowledged the fact that maybe people really don't change that much, uh-huh. but they can in this moment. And then you can see a different side of them. Well, we haven't really talked about Preston, but he is a surprisingly, I mean, he and Amanda are both surprisingly general, mm-hmm. generic. Which I, I suppose is maybe was an attempt to make them broadly applicable. Like, oh, I know a girl like Amanda, and I'm a guy like Preston. I, I think when I was in high school, I like I like to think that I was like Preston. It's not just to tell her how I think she's more than the homecoming queen, or Mike's girlfriend. Or how there's this really amazing person inside of her that no one even bothers to see. in there too but what it's really about is how she just give me a chance just one chance it's so I'm, I'm having such a hard time keeping my like adulthood from my my memories as a teenager I don't know if that's just natural or if it's because I work in a high school and I have to so clearly distance myself from anything adolescent because I have to teach them. Like, that's my job. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, I, I'm not there to like hang out. Really, yeah. <laughs> and like be their friends or whatever. But that idea of needing to save a girl from mm. that their situation guy or yeah, whatever that, like, it was, whatever it Fill is, in the blank. Yeah. That she needs saving. Whatever situation she's in, if I perceive it as bad, was not her choice. There's something keeping her there that I can liberate her from. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, she will be mine. And that won't be her choice either because she'll owe it to me or she'll want to so badly because out of gratitude, whatever. And that's what teen movies hang their hats on so often. All the good girls date jerks. Those things about like what is wrong with everything else but you that is keeping that girl from dating you. And I know I thought like that. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that's a natural way to think, that if that's just how that's just how men think, or if that's a conditioned thing because of things like can't hardly wait or whatever. In in like on my way over here, I listened to Blink one eighty two. Of course. Yeah. And I was that's just constant in their music. Is that just developmentally part of it that like you eventually get over? Or is that something that's mm-hmm. like, oh, we need to make sure people don't think that way for any stretch of time. Not even like as their minds and bodies are developing their idea of gender relations. You know, like, I don't know if I, I'm, I, well, I'm well, certainly, I, I, to some people, I am certainly overthinking this. <laughs> but like, I don't think it's wrong to say like, hey, we've got issues with masculinity and with boys in this country, in the world. And is it because we accept this sort of behavior and we, we say like, well, yeah, you know what it means though. Like we all felt like that, but we're fine. Now we have wives and whatever. And it's like, I don't know. We also all have problems in our relationships too. <laughs> is that so it, because for so long we were allowed or led to think that we had to be the saviors? Well, and it's not just, it's not just the men either because women also watched Can't Hardly Wait mm-hmm. and saw mm-hmm. themselves in Amanda mm-hmm. or just thought Preston was really sweet. Or really wanted them to get together. It's a age old thing that's works both ways. The the man who wants to save and the woman who wants to be saved. You yeah. know. Um, now I think that we're 
finally getting to a point where we're maybe questioning not only is that is that healthy, but how does that pervade the culture at large in yeah. all sorts of different ways? Yeah. Family dynamics when when you do actually have a family, right. and you know, um, those good questions to ask. Can't hardly wait. Might be the springboard to do it with. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but you know, but I mean, you, it's hard though because got, you know, like, you're, you're you're ultimately. I don't know if I really ever got your take on Preston. Like, are you saying that that's uh, that 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 that's toxic? What the way he was thinking about Amanda and and the way that other teenage boys watching at the time would have projected themselves onto someone yeah, like Preston. Yeah, I mean, Preston, it's a tough you know. question because it's it because of how it's portrayed and because of how often it's portrayed, it's, it feels innocuous. Do I think Preston had Amanda's best interest in, at heart? I think I he... I guess not. No, because <laughs> he had his best interest he at did. heart. He I, did. I, I, I think you're right, but only in the sense that he was as self-centered as every teenager is. Right, but, the, but yeah. But that I, he actually thought he had her best interest at heart. I also think that uh, that is where the Denise character becomes, I think, sort of the critical Mm -hmm. voice asking some of those questions. You're not going to give her the letter. Why wouldn't I give her the letter? Because you haven't had the chance to revise it for the four billion times. All great writers revise. Dear Amanda, now that you're finally single, I can finally give you this sappy love letter that I never had the guts to give you during all four years of high school. Which you don't get that voice in a lot of these that's movies. That's true. But then, he doesn't but, care. But yeah, and the movie doesn't <laughs> care, really, ultimately, because that's the that's the main storyline, even though it's probably the least interesting storyline. But in a way, I mean, when she completely rejects him, I think he does kind of say, all right, you know, I get it. And doesn't try after yeah. that to make things work in his favor. Yeah, you know? he definitely doesn't get angry Yeah, at he just accepts at, it anybody and again sees it as you know i guess i guess i was wrong or i guess this is the fate and my new fate is to go off to school yeah and then it actually does become her decision to chase after him that's true it changes that's true the movie does allow for um her to have at least the last say you know it does but i mean to play devil's advocate a little bit it also plays into his plan of once she sees how I can save her from this or how I'm this person, then she has no choice but to right. blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know. It's just one of those things that like people will, I'm sure a, seg- a section of people will say, I'm thinking too much about it. And then I'm, I'm making, I'm, we're talking about can't hardly wait, you know, um, as but an example, all, of what's but it's all, there. it all, it's all there. It's all part of what is just that ringing, in the backs of our heads constantly. And I don't think that Can't Hardly Wait directly contributes to this. I don't think Can't Hardly Wait is um, now uh, on trial because of what has happened. But you've got this section of the population that calls themselves incels mm-hmm. that are that are blaming women for the fact that they're not having sex. Right. Because uh, women are horrible. It's like, no, you're an awful person and nobody wants to talk to you because of the way that you are so selfish right now. Mm-hmm. And we have people shooting and running over people with their bands in the name of this. And again, Can't Hardly Wait is a fairly innocuous example of this. But it's just another thing that I question, do we need to bring this movie into 2018? Like, does this movie have a necessary place right now? I mean, have you seen another example from the last few years that transcends these ideas? As far as like a teen movie or anything? Well, yeah, I mean, if I we're mean, talking really about... watch teen movies. If we're talking about the youth, I mean, I saw... 
I mean, Edge of Seventeen, you know, just move stories, teen movies from female perspectives well, is, I, is, is, is important. Yeah. Maybe we should have talked about Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think that I think that if you just had more movies that came more from that perspective, th- you probably wouldn't see that storyline very yeah. often, the Preston storyline. With with the way you're talking, I th- I think that I've noticed this over our last few episodes, and I'm sure our listeners probably have noticed it too. Um, we keep running into these conversations where we're like, I, I can't watch this movie the same way anymore because of what's been happening lately. The two of us in our personal lives and our yeah. personal journeys, we've really, over the last even just few months, we've just been trying to be more aware and um, more informed about this perspective of other people. Other yeah. people being women, people of color. Yeah, I mean, that happened in our Big Lebowski episode. I mean, right. that's never a thing I used to think about with the Coen brothers, but right. I think about it now. It's right. not something I ever thought about with Can't Hardly Wait, but I think about it now. Right. Um, and I noticed that, and it's not even just for the movies we do with the podcast, it's every movie I revisit now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I'm, I, I think that's a good thing, but does that I also turn, so. but does yeah. that also turn our podcast into something different? You know, yeah. like, yeah. for better or worse. Yeah. You know? I, I, I think it is, a positive thing that we're that we're doing. I think it may be an irritating thing to listen to. <laughs> That's um, more what I'm getting at. Is this something you know? I think didn't we even we even talked about it in all the presidents? I think it's been in like almost every episode probably. the last few times. Is what does this mean watching it as two white dudes? You know, and yeah. what does that mean knowing that the movie culture for so long has been yeah. predominantly geared towards us white dudes? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and so since we're going to be watching older movies, yeah. that's what we're going to be running into. And is it something that is a given now? Like, okay, we understand that we have been also thinking about it this way, but we don't need to talk about it on the podcast. So like, let's just talk about the movie without that extraneous stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Part of me says that would be easier well, for everybody to listen to. It'd be disingenuous us of us. About, but it would certainly be us needing to hold back. Mm-hmm. And it would be, it would be complicit at that point. To actively ignore it would be complicit. And I, I don't think we need to or should apologize for becoming aware of what our identity has been fed by and what acceptable means of expressing our identity have been and being aware of what the acceptable means of expressing identity have been for people who aren't like us. And does that mean I don't think I should have watched Can't Hardly Wait? No, I don't think that. Do I think, like I've kind of said a couple of times, does this some is this a movie that brings something to 2018 that's necessary? I don't think so. Does that mean that everybody's got to watch this movie and find it problematic? I guess not. I'm just going to be honest because I know it's it's a shitty thing that I thought, but I thought it anyways. Which was, do we always have to talk about this? Yeah, like because sometimes it does get exhausting, but. I also think it's maybe just what we have to do right now. Sure. Like we're living in a moment. And I also think that like, if I'm going to say it's a good thing to think about movies, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super hypocritical for me to like close off certain corners of things like that's exhausting. I don't want to think about it that way. And, and if I really, I, I honestly, I'm, I guess what I'm coming to is my answer to that question where I'm saying, do we always have to talk about this? I think right now it is. Yeah. I think right now yep. it is something that we kind of always have to think about. But you're right. You know, any listener, if they go back to the archives, you're not going to hear right. us talking about it through that same filter, I don't right. think. It's something that happened. 
Yep. And I don't know if it's fully because of the culture. It could also just because be because we actually do hang out yeah. in real life. Yeah. And this is what we this talk about. not the when, only time we talk. Know, yeah. and, and this is what's on our mind right now. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I, I, I don't know why. I just wanted to bring it up because is it tiring? Is it irritating for people to listen to other white guys talk about yeah. why you should feel guilty for liking this movie yeah. because of this reason? You know? Yeah. Because that's happened to me too, where I'll like a movie. Someone else will not like it. And they'll use that, you know, well, it's just a white male's perspective as almost a reason for not liking it. Without really dissecting right. it. That type of like critiquing something because it's from a white male's perspective as the right. reason it's bad right. is just as problematic yes, to I me. Yes, I agree. It's characterizing the movie and then writing it off. Yeah. I think there is a place for the conversation. I don't think that we will talk about every movie this way, although I never would have expected it to happen. <laughs> can't hardly way, wait. But at the same time... <laughs> In response to your your comment that it's exhausting to listen to, that is the worst we can say about our experience as a white male. Right. Is yeah. that ugh, I'm kind of we've we've done this for three different episodes now. <laughs> Aren't we done? Like whereas for every other group of people, there's been exhausting stuff mm-hmm. daily that yeah. like is more soul crushing than having to say like can I just watch Can't Hardly Wait and laugh? <laughs> right. It is absolutely fine for the world to expect some soul searching, to expect, and whether they want to listen to it, we do not deserve an audience. Mm-hmm. We do not deserve any sort of credit for finally saying anything. I don't want it to sound like we think we've got credit. This yeah. is literally something I'm exploring and you're exploring and we're working through. And if it's annoying to hear yeah. us fumble and you're like, just get there. I'm yeah. already, this is this is where you are in your thought process. But I mean, I don't know. We have to be who we are, where we are yeah. and be honest about the fact that we are fumbling through this because we grew up in the 90s where you could You could call, say the F word and it would call not, people. Yeah. Any uh, anything homophobia was rampant, and like we used to think like that, mm-hmm. we used to be fine with that, and to indict ourselves a little bit. Well, I don't even know if we can say what the state of our relationship is or the state <laughs> of anything right now. I I still I, I I'm not going to change mine from three. Yeah, but that's not necessarily bad. No, it's mixed, right? Yeah. Definitely. But like I said at the beginning, I enjoyed myself while I watched yeah. this movie. I would say we're probably at a mutual understanding. I, I am going to keep it at four. I think a mutual understanding is fine. And we, sure. we actually use this to talk about a, a heck of a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, I did not expect that from I our teen comedy ex- I didn't at episode. All. But maybe neither. I should have. Teen comedies always surprise me. Always? They're either worse than I thought they were going to be, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> or they're, or they're, or they're kind of not so bad, and some of them are pretty not good. As, so. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I'm going to make a confession here. Okay. It's solidified watching this movie. I actually really like Smash Mouth's Walking on the Sun. You know what? I won't say that. I won't go that far, but I will say the way they used it yeah. in clips... That really, that really is working. And I would never, ever say I was a Smash Mouth fan. No. But that one song. Yeah. I like that song. Okay. I don't know how I feel about that. Anyways, I might go listen to some Smash Mouth. 
oh, boy. after this. I might, I might listen to Blink-182 on my way home, or I might have had my fix right. for... Well, before we do years. that, why don't we talk about what we're going to discuss in our next episode. All right. So, with summer just around the corner, uh, baseball season, another movie celebrating a, an anniversary, I believe mm-hmm. it's the 30th anniversary... Yeah, uh, 30th anniversary came out June 15th, so oh, the month that we're going to be yeah, looking at here. Very, uh, very any listeners want to take a guess? We're listening. Um, Nobody. No. Wow. No one could Baseball it out. movie, 1988, June 15th. No, nothing. Crickets. It's baseball, not cricket. Oh, you're right. Baseballs. Baseballs. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's Bull Durham. I didn't think we'd have to give it away like that, yeah, actually. but uh, we got no choice. But yeah, Bull Durham. Kevin Costner, Tim Robbins, uh, Susan Sarandon. That's the cast? See, I haven't seen this movie. Okay. It's been on my list for a long time. See, I have. Okay. This, ha- this doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It it's been a while. for a while. I, yeah. But yeah, so you've seen this movie and I haven't. Right. Um, highly regarded, this movie. It is highly regarded. I see it on a lot of lists, you know, um, not just sports lists. When are you looking at lists that aren't sports lists? Oh, you caught me. It's on a lot of sports lists, and I wanted you Top to think sports, I didn't just look right. at sports lists, and so I said that without having anything else in mind, nothing else made up and I was, in my head. Can I tell you, you failed at your gotcha moment, well, and oh. I absolutely <laughs> succeeded in mine. Gotcha. To be continued. But I do look at lists that aren't sports lists, and I can tell you that people do like this movie. But... Uh, you seem to have something against Kevin Costner, I've noticed. And that's not true. What uh, did I have against him in JFK? He's a big part of that movie. Hey, I got you. <laughs> no, you didn't. You got yourself. <laughs> I got you for a second there. You made me think for a second. No, I was thinking about the few times we talked we've about talked about with Wolves and, and Robin and Hood, Robin Prince, Hood of Prince of Thieves, Thieves that yeah. you haven't like. You've, you've talked about Kevin Costner Nate. Uh, and not so glowing. Nate, be honest. Is there anything glowing besides his flowing locks <laughs> about Kevin Costner in either of those roles? We're not talking about those two movies. We're talking about you Bull brought Durham. up Kevin Costner. You're the one. I'm just saying that's a, we'll probably get into it in our episode because it's a big topic. It's not. my feeling of Robin Hood. My feeling on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is a We're not big topic. About Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. We're talking. You you said I don't like Kevin Costner. I said I never said anything bad about him in JFK. As far as I can recall, maybe I did. He's good in JFK. I can I can say an actor is good in certain movies and not in others. I just feel like my my overall memory of this podcast and our last in episodes general, in general is I that you don't, don't enjoy to, Kevin Costner movies. That's that's all I was really getting at. Oh, I don't have just like a grudge against him. I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. I, mean, if I you, feel like I've already you, proven that I can appreciate Kevin Costner. You just know I've got gotcha. you. If you don't like this movie, I've Listen, got you cornered. We're like I've got you five cornered. to zero on gotchas <laughs> in this episode. But I've got you cornered pretty good. Like right now, no, if, yes, I do. If you don't like Bull Durham, I'm going to be like, see, you've got something against Kevin Costner. And I, I will say no, because remember, I liked him in JFK. You can't stack like four movies against someone and say, I liked him in this one movie and say, I like that actor. When those movies are Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which I like, Waterworld. I don't remember. I know he drinks his piss. He's drinking water. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna credit him for drinking water. <laughs> but man, a great actor, man can act. Can can do the most mundane things in revelatory ways. 
And Kevin Costner drinking his urine. Which you was, do not remember. Which I don't remember, but I think it was that moment. <laughs> I think you remember revelatory <laughs> performances. <laughs> Anyways, Bull Durham, yeah. baseball movie, June. Kevin, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. I think uh, listeners should watch it with us. Maybe chime in with, uh, what's, what's the best baseball movie? Let's make a list. We also want to, you know, extend the invitation to comment on anything we've talked about in this episode or past episodes. And uh, there's a lot of ways you can do that. We'll run through them real quickly here. Got your emails. Yep. Feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Yep. Twitter yep. at CWSBF. Mm-hmm. Facebook, Can We Still Be Friends podcast. Right. Uh, not the, the not movie the from the Philippines. Film, which we still need to figure out if we can get a copy of. I think that would be respectful to all of our new fans that we have on our Facebook page that we watch the movie they think they're liking. Yeah. Yeah. Daily. Still. Daily. Still, still getting them. That movie must have been a hell of a movie in the Philippines. Yeah, big hit. Um, so, yeah, yeah Facebook, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we, got a, we do have a, uh, a, a place where you can leave a voicemail if you'd like. So you can do that at 847-306-9532. Those are numbers that you dial. 847-306-9532. And you can leave us a voicemail. Yep. And um, you could also just record mm-hmm. something. Email it to us. And email it to us. Mm -hmm. We'd just love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, any last things you want to say about Kevin Costner before we go? Oh, no. An apology, maybe? (laughs) No. I haven't watched Bull Durham yet, and I stand by my opinion of his other movies. One-fourth or fifth in approval of Kevin Costner. That sounds right. All right. Well, we'll see if that changes when we watch Bull Durham. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.